0: revival. I believe that's a question all of us probably should ask a little more than we do, myself included. Second week we, God, dealt with humility and really the blockade against revival in our lives, and our hearts, and that's pride. And whether you're a child of God or you're not, we all deal with that in one form or another. And when you get saved, pride does not leave. Um, you now have the Spirit of God to fight against that and to slowly but surely um, win that battle. But we'll never fully win it until we get to heaven. We see Him face to face. And then we dealt the next week with honesty and our need in not just with God, not just being honest with ourselves, but in a church setting to be willing to be honest with each other, to resist that urge, that, that spiritual Facebook Mentality to make everybody see just the good things about us, just the things we're proud of, and to hide the rest as we come into the Lord's house. We miss out on so much by doing that. Miss out on so much. And by the way, others miss out as well on your role in their life. And then we talked about grace. We had four heavy subjects there. And then uh, the grace of God, we got to dwell on that for a little while. And, and this week, uh, this was last week, but... We had a great testimony service coming off of our missions trip and off of youth camp. And today we are on again the holy life, holiness. We discussed it Wednesday, and we're going to discuss it again this coming Wednesday. The Bible has so much to say. God has so much to say to us about holiness. And we're in 1 Peter chapter 1. I hope you're there this morning. I'm reading... Uh, personally from the King James Version, just so you're not confused by that. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, any cross-references, I'll throw them up on the screen so you don't have to do the mental gymnastics of um, the average American Christian, <laughs> not knowing what version's being read, because we have so many. We've been blessed and cursed at the same time. But uh, this is America. And so I'll just keep you all on the same page. I'll have the scripture behind me. But I invite you to take notes. On the inside of your bulletin is area to take notes, and I'd love for you to do that. And then take these home and study them. Uh, Again, church is not a one-and-done thing. Hey, I did my Sunday morning. I'm good for the week. Oh, that's not the Christian life. That's not it at all. i want to walk with our God every day. I hope today God won't press that upon your life. You know, holiness, our subject today is, let's see if I can get this working here. We're good now? There we go. So our subject today is holiness, and that subject, I don't know about you, but it, I don't know, it can kind of have a little bit of a flavor of one of those church words that we use when we're at church and when we're talking about church-type stuff. You know, we talk about holiness, and, and then if we go any deeper, some of, probably the next step is really uh, a word that we mainly use to talk about God, right? Because we, if you've been in church any amount of time, you believe that God is holy. Even if you don't necessarily know the depth of what that means, you believe it about God. And, you know, what we've come to find out as we're studying holiness through really the past couple years in our fellowship groups on, on Wednesday nights, that holiness is the defining attribute of Almighty God. It is the attribute, the characteristic from which all of his other characteristics flow. His holiness, his purity, his righteousness. What we would say we are pursuing if we are pursuing a godly life, a life that wants to be like our Lord, a life that wants to emulate our Heavenly Father, just like a child would want to do an earthly father. I want to be just like Dad. God put all those feelings and thoughts in place as our Creator. This morning, he lays out before us in First Peter, holiness. But does God require us to be holy as well? I mean, we've just publicly admitted, I hope you did, that God is holy. But does he also require that of us? I mean, what does that mean? If so, what does that mean for you and I? You know, in relation to this pursuit of holiness, let's, let's define the word. The Bible, you always look to the Bible for definitions of words, especially when, when God is defining something. Uh, you always do that from the scriptures, because that's the only way to really be confident that your definition is correct. I mean, men change definitions over time, right? Even languages evolve um, and change over time, and the words that meant one thing a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago or sometimes even six months ago start to change. And our culture does that. Every culture does that. But in the Old Testament, holiness is defined as apartness, meaning you are separated from something. Apartness, sacredness. Holiness means it's set apart, it's reserved for worship. In the New Testament, it's a very similar definition, but Old Testament's written in Hebrew mostly, a little bit of Aramaic. The New Testament is written in Greek in the original languages there. And in New Testament, holiness is the quality of being personally dedicated to God. You would say piety or godliness, that pursuit of being like the Lord as much as we can. God, of course, is so good. He doesn't leave us without wisdom on these matters. God does not leave us wisdom without wisdom on any matter that's important to him. There's quite a few matters he doesn't give us wisdom on. But I I think we can just confidently say, maybe that's not as important to God as it may be to me. And uh, we can be okay with that. God tells us what we need to know in his word, and we're so grateful for that. We'll see that. I don't know, in 2023, and I imagine all of us have probably been around this and and know exactly what I'm talking about, but we have a phenomenon in the last 10 years, uh, which we um, affectionately call YouTube University. And uh, you do not have to have a degree or you do not even have to pay tuition to be there. You can seemingly go on YouTube, put in the search bar, pretty much at, in 2023, pretty much anything you want to know about, there's somebody on there telling you they know how to do it and they're gonna show you how to do it. And I mean, many of us, I mean, from anywhere from fixing cars to setting up an aquarium, to um, learning how to sing, I mean, you name it, it is on there. The problem with that is not just every, anybody and everybody that says, I know how to do this, is necessarily qualified to teach you how to do this. And I'm sure we've all been part of those YouTube videos where we did the search, we watched the uh, video, and maybe the first or second video, we get up there and like, I'm absolutely no better off in my life from watching that video than I was before I started. <laughs> but isn't that so true that many times what you and I know about holiness, we have learned... Because somebody showed us or somebody demonstrated to us. At least we thought that's what they were demonstrating to us. And then some of us come to find out later on that person that we thought was demonstrating holiness to us was showing us how to pursue holiness. Uh, they had a big mess up in their life. And all of a sudden, our hopes and dreams um, that were based on that person are now crushed. And now everything that person said, oh, it can't be true anymore. I'm going to fall from you know, that. And it, boy, God forbid if that person was in church leadership. And you were following that person and you esteem them to be so pure and holy and and godly, and then they fell into sin in some form or another because they're a sinner, and your hopes and dreams were crushed. You left church, and maybe today you're back in for the first time in a long time. I don't know. I don't know what your situation is. Maybe you're watching online, and that's happened to you. And our tendency can be, okay, so that person that we perceived as holy now, everything they taught us has to be wrong. Or we haven't gotten to that point yet, And because we think that person is holy, everything they're teaching us is automatically right. Rather than being students of the word ourselves, taking advantage of the great privilege we have in America to have multiple copies of the word of God in each of our homes, if we want it, multiple radio stations, preaching and teaching the word of God, multiple avenues online in English that we can study the word of God, multiple devotionals, the list goes on and on and on, and yet, sometimes, let's just admit it, sometimes we just wait and for someone to come and, I don't mean to be unkind, but just to feed it to us, when we have the privilege to see for ourselves. Today, I hope and pray that that's, this will happen for you, that you will see for yourself a little bit, a little bit, this is one message, to whet your appetite and what God expects and desires of you and I in the area of Holiness. May I submit to you today that every believer, every Christian, every creation should pursue holiness. There is nothing better in this life to do. And automatically, honesty creeps up within us, and some of us don't feel that way. Because God needs to bring that into our lives. We step here into 1 Peter. uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, and let me just let you know what is going on. 1 Peter, all I think it's four or five chapters five chapters, is a letter. We look at it as, you know, different chapters and different verses, but at one time it was altogether written in a letter from Peter the Apostle. And it's written to Christians under the reign of Nero. Nero is an infamous king in ancient history. It's believed it was written around 64 AD when he was in power. Nero burned Rome to the ground, history tells us. Uh, he had a lust to build, and he had run out of things to build, so he burned Rome to the ground so he could rebuild it again. Uh, backfired a little bit on him, and he had great animosity from the Roman people. This, this uh, devastated so many areas of the life, devastated their businesses, devastated even many, many aspects, of their, um, the way they viewed their gods, little G. It was a pagan civilization. Did not believe in the, in the one true God. But this defeated in many spots and really put a blot on their belief in their pagan gods because their gods obviously were powerless to stop that from happening, they thought. And so there was great animosity that came up um, against the Roman government, against Nero, all the talk that was going around. So Nero, history tells us, somehow through advice or whatever, got this great idea to blame the Christians for the burning of Rome. The Christians were already, kind of already had a a negative tint in the Roman civilization. This was not a popular notion, Jesus Christ. I mean, they had crucified Jesus Christ 30 years earlier. Now the Christians were to blame for this cataclysmic event in Roman history. This is where we come into this letter, Peter writes. And uh, I have it right there on the screen behind me. Peter writes this in verse number one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, is known as a salutation, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These were the Christians, the children of God that had come to faith in Christ in the last 30 years since Jesus was crucified. And now because Rome was vehemently against Christians, especially after this burning of their civilization, they had scattered scattered them throughout all the surrounding areas. And Peter writes this letter of encouragement. But he he says to these strangers, verse number 2, he names them, he kind of gives them a label, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. And now this is just a norm. normally we just gloss past all of this as he spends a couple more verses giving that salutation, the kind words, and kind of titling who he's writing this to. But I want you to see this definition there that he puts on there this label, through sanctification of the Spirit. Here's why they're elect. Elect is another term for those who are saved, those who children of God, have been born again. They're the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. God saw ahead of time that that was going to happen through sanctification of the Spirit. From the very first couple of verses, Peter lays out that there was going to be a process that would be happening in their lives and was happening in their lives, and he calls it sanctification of the Spirit. Of the Spirit. In other words, of the Spirit, meaning it's coming from the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit of God. And he titles it sanctification. We've heard that word before. Sanctification is the process where God sets apart a people for himself. And this process of sanctification could very well be in the thesaurus as pursuit of holiness. Holiness is that very same thing. In God, it is that God is holy. He's separate from all humanity, so far above anything we could ever attain. But then he begins to work this same work in the lives of his children, and he calls it holiness. There's one natural division of holiness in the Bible for every Christian, okay? And holiness is only something a Christian could ever hope to attain to in one form or another, Because God has to do this in our lives. Number one is positional holiness. A a Christian is positionally holy. You've been granted that position at the time that you were saved. We see it right there in the verse. Those saints have been granted this position through sanctification of the Spirit. You were saved. God separated you to himself. Your kingdom has changed. Your family has changed. Your perspective on life has changed. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. God did that for you when He saved you. Being a Christian wasn't just something you grew up in, it was a decision as you repented and turned to the Lord Jesus Christ through saving faith, and God regenerated you. He made you new. You're positionally holy, you're separate because of what God did in your life. But then there's practical holiness. Holiness in practice, it's something that we actually do. It's an action that comes from us. The first one was something God did. And God, of course, is superintendent of everything in the child of God's life. But the next one requires action from us. And it's practical holiness. It's that that process that as we submit and obey and follow God, he begins to separate us from the life that we came from. He begins to separate us in practice. We look less and less like the person we used to be. We look less and less like the world that is against God and hates Him as God brings us to Himself. We see this process in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 on the screen behind me. It says, we know this verse, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, and we rejoice in that verse, not of works. There's nothing we could have done, lest any man should boast. We'd just be bragging all day long how good we were and how much we deserve salvation and be thinking and, and just priding ourselves on our righteousness. No, it's by grace, through faith, a gift of God. But he goes on, verse 10, he says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in him. There is a process that continues after each of us has been saved. If you're in that boat, God is, at this point, is working in that process. It's a process of sanctification. We see that throughout the scriptures, whereby God is making us more and more like him, less and less like the person that we used to be. It's this pursuit that you and I have to willingly give to, this pursuit of holiness. So every born-again believer, then, is living in two realities. If you've been saved in here, genuinely saved, you're a follower of Jesus, you're living with two realities. Number one, you've been made positionally holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. Number two, you are being made practically holy. You're in that process with God as a faithful father, as you submit to him. One when, when, uh, pastor defined holiness. I thought it was just a great biblical definition uh means this on the screen behind us, to be set apart for special use, to be defined by and devoted to what is good, to be totally separated from evil. And these are all characteristics of God in, in, in a divine form. But God begins to work in the life of his child these things in our hearts when he saves us. He's so good to do this. And so we might ask ourselves, so how You know, as you you look at this process, as you look at this pursuit, how in the world, in in a world, in a job, in a family, in an environment to where I'm surrounded by temptation, I'm surrounded by people who are against God, I'm surrounded by people who say they're Christians, but they don't act like Christians. Whatever your case is, we're all in that same boat in one form or another. In this type of environment, how in the world am I supposed to be holy? Well, Peter answers that question for these same people here in 1 Peter. So we're going to look at this. And I want you to understand at the very beginning, he labels them, in verse number one we saw it, he labels them strangers. Now this was not a label as he's saying, I don't know you, although he didn't know them all personally. He was saying, you have a designation now as a child of God. You are a stranger. You are a sojourner. This world is not your home. You're not going to be here forever. You have now been part of a different family, a different kingdom, and you need to understand that and keep that in your mind. This is not your permanent place. So don't put all, as it were, all your eggs in one basket. Because that basket's not always going to be your basket. Peter gives them exhortation here. So, you know, we, we read that and we're getting, we already did the um, responsive reading this morning on the passage we're in today. And we might be thinking, oh, this all sounds good. Sounds right. Yes, I need to be holy. I admit that. But let's be honest. Is this not a really easy question just to kind of put in our back pocket and go on about our lives and forget about? You know, we talked last Wednesday in our Bible studies. um, Holiness almost sometimes can take on a negative feeling within our, like, man, this is going to be a lot of work. I mean, there's really nobody around me or nothing around me that's really encouraging me to be this way. As a matter of fact, everything that I'm subjected to, it seems like, is against this. Not to mention myself. That uh, I'm just, I, I'll just speak for me, I'm inherently lazy. I'm inherently self-driven. The older I get, I, I don't see myself as more spiritual. As I get older, the, more, the older I get, the more in need of God's help to do this, I find myself. I battle self at every single turn. So I feel like we need to, let's just go ahead and create a foundation. Where are you at personally with this? Where where are you at in your life? I love what they did in the devotional. Um, You would have went through it last week if you're following along with us. They give us a little bit of a checklist to kind of give ourselves an honest evaluation of where we're at with this. Number one, maybe this is you. Truthfully, I'm pretty much preoccupied with life here and now. I don't spend much time or focus on becoming holy or getting ready to meet Jesus. I mean, am just busy with other things. That's just, maybe you can honestly say that. Maybe this would be you. I give some thought and effort to becoming holy and preparing for Christ's return, but often find myself distracted and consumed with the things of this earth. Or maybe this would be you. I love Jesus. I'm excited about his return. And I'm actively seeking to get ready to see him face to face by pursuing holiness. I think we can all agree that the last one is the goal. Amen. That's Whether we feel like that or not, whether that's where we are or not, I think we can all admit as Christians that's the goal. Peter helps these people, these strangers, these people who have come to Christ, faith in Christ, He wants to help them as a leader, as someone who cares about these people, as someone who wants to bring others into the kingdom and wants to help them in this process of sanctification, pursuing holiness. And he says, he answers the question to them, how do we do this? How can we live a holy life? And the first thing we want to look at is, number one, by keeping the goal in mind at all times. This is super important. Keeping the goal in mind at all times. What exactly is the goal of your life? I mean, just answer it honestly to yourself. Don't don't give me like a church answer. Maybe you don't have any goals, or you've never verbally made a goal or intentionally made a goal. Can I tell? All of us have goals. And here's how you know what the goal is look at the direction of your life. The direction of your life is pointing somewhere. Where is that direction pointing? So even if you have not, even if somehow you've convinced yourself that I'm not going to make any goals, and I'm just going to kind of land wherever I land, that goal is going to put you in the same direction. And it's whatever direction you're going right now. So just go ahead and look at your direction, look down the road of that direction if you've been old enough to kind of see where that, that direction is going. That's your goal. But we ought to keep the right goal in mind at all times. He says there in verse number 13, we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. We're going to go through the next four verses. And then we'll see the capstone at the end in the following four verses. As Peter exhorts these people here, these Christians, in the pursuit of holiness. He says in verse number 1, sorry, chapter number 1, verse 13, wherefore, because of who you are in Christ, because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, because of the persecution you're, you're under right now, scattered throughout these lands. Wherefore, because of this, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revealing of Jesus Christ. Can I say to you this morning, your goal is determines your direction. Wherever you are trying to get to, that's going to be the direction. Your life is just automatically going to take that course. Is your goal heaven? Is your goal money? Is your goal family? Is your goal career success? Yeah, I don't know. You name it, whatever it is. You'll naturally start walking in that direction. Peter tells them, um, Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is the revelation of Jesus Christ? The revealing of Jesus Christ. I think we all know uh, when Jesus Christ is finally revealed to us, when he returns for his own, or when we're standing before him one day in heaven, Jesus Christ will be revealed no longer just no longer just a person that we read about in Scripture. But someone will see face to face, whether we see him as Savior or as Almighty Judge. Is that the goal? It's interesting here. He says, hope to the end. So there is an end. There is a point, and I want you to hope to that point. I want you to cling on to that. I want that to be what brings you through those times what gives you the hope when it seems like nothing is working out, when it seems like this is just too difficult, I'm not going to be able to do this, he says, hope to the end. When it seems like um, you're totally befuddled and, and you're really lacking wisdom in how to handle these things, and it seems like nothing is turning out the way you thought it would, hope to the end. But he goes on. Unless you think this is talking about hoping to the fact that as a Christian, you'll be in a mansion one day or you'll be walking on streets of gold, those things may be true. But that's not what he's saying here. He says, hope to the end for the grace. That's what you need to root your hope in. For the grace at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is he talking about there? Well, can each of us really just be honest and understand this morning that what we receive one day when we get to heaven will honestly have no merit or no worth or no seeming reward to anything we've done And if you think that now, I can guarantee you when you stand before Him, when you kneel before Him, when you fall before Him, one day you will know you have done nothing to deserve what you will receive in heaven one day. Nothing. It's grace. It's grace. But how many times do we get so off track? Do we accept the lie in our own minds and spirits that somehow I deserve what is happening to me. Somehow I deserve all of this success. Somehow I'm going to deserve to walk on those streets of gold, to be with my Savior, to live in eternal place that is, quite honestly, one, so wonderful that God says you can't even imagine it, how wonderful it is. And if you start to imagine it, it's even better than that. I can just guarantee you, he says, hasn't even entered into your heart or mind how wonderful the things are. God has prepared for those who love him, the Scripture says. What, what gives you the right to be there? What gives me the right to be there? Surely we don't think that somehow we deserve that. But yet, if you don't keep that in mind, what does my selfish nature and your selfish nature do? We just kind of put that in the closet. We know it's there and we recognize it when we need to, but it doesn't drive us. And shouldn't it? Shouldn't that drive us? To be holy, Shouldn't that drive us to, to back away from temptation, to not be so quick to associate and be friendly with the ways of this world, the, the ones that would crucify Jesus Christ again if he was here in 2023? Keep the goal in mind at all times, Peter says. He goes, well, how do we do that? Well, he goes on. It's a, it's a blessing. He goes on. He says, here's how. Gird up the loins of your mind. Well, that's a a tough one. What does that mean? You know, When you look at the scriptures, I love um, when God gives us word pictures, when he gives us something we actually have to think about. You may want the super simple Bible that gives it all to you in baby food form so you don't have to think about anything, but God really wants us to think. He really wants us to open these word pictures that he gives us because there's so much depth. He says, here's how you pursue this holiness. Here's how you keep the goal, the grace that you're going to receive one day. Here's how you keep it in mind while you're on this earth. Gird up the loins of your mind. It's a picture of what happened to the children of Israel. Children of Israel in Exodus chapter 12, on the screen behind me, they were told the same thing by God as he was executing their escape route out of Egypt. Here's what he tells them. It's getting ready to be the night of the 10th plague, right? We know that, uh, what that was, where all of the firstborn in Egypt would be killed by the death angel as it would sweep through. But God gave a protection to his children, his family. He said, put the blood on the, on the head of the door and on the doorposts. When that death angel comes through, he will pass by you. And he says, while you're doing, while you're waiting, this is how I want you to wait. He so says, you eat that Passover, he says in verse 11 behind me there, and thus shall ye eat this Passover lamb with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. Quickly, it is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. What do you tell him to do? With your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. I mean, we can debate on exactly what in that culture it meant to gird up your loins. It had something to do with preparing yourself, whether it was rolling up your skirt, the things that were loose down there so they wouldn't get caught. We don't know exactly. Nobody was there. That's not really the point. If you look at what God is saying here, he is telling them, get ready to go. Get ready to go. It's using the same language in the New Testament. Gird up the loins of your mind. So how do you get your mind ready to go? We well, have to intentionally set your goal and your direction up there, not down here. Where is your goals rooted in this life? Is it rooted in stuff down here? You know, many of us have kind of, taken on the philosophy that if we, if we just root too many things up there, we're really going to be no good down here. And that's a worldly philosophy. That's what the world would have us to believe. God said, I'm your father. I'm going to take care of all that. Hey, just seek first my kingdom. I'll take care of your food and your clothing, your shelter. I'll take care of all that. But Here's the problem. Most of us don't believe that. We just think that's a good traditional scripture verse to maybe apply from time to time. God says, believe me. Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind, get yourself ready to go and remain in that state. At the revelation of Jesus Christ, there will be a day when Jesus Christ will be revealed to you and to me. He says, be ready for that. And not just get there one day, but keep your loins girded. And he says, after that, be sober. What does that mean? Well, be sober is the idea of being serious. Be serious about it. Put some thought into it. Put some action into it. Take this thing seriously. We've all met people who it seems like they just goof off their entire life. But we can do this spiritually, can we not? We can can go week after week after week, and we never really take a pursuit of holiness seriously. We wouldn't actively say, I'm not interested, but our actions betray us that we're really not interested in pursuing God this much. Peter says, keep the goal in mind. Number two, he says, make an intentional decision to leave the old life. And we find ourselves in all sorts of different places in our thinking of this, but he says in verse number 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, as obedient children. Yeah, I can't speak for you, but there was a time in my life where I think I kind of thought that holiness was just something that God is doing for me. Like, I'm just going to, as a Christian, I'm going to receive it somehow. God's going to, he's doing a project, I'm his workmanship, so he's kind of doing this whole, he's just kind of leading me along, and that's kind of almost like passively follow. As I've grown in the Lord and, and studied the scriptures, I'm finding that absolutely God is superintending the whole process. But the free will of man is so evident throughout our salvation, our sanctification. It's not that God couldn't make us do all of this stuff. He chooses not to make us to do this stuff. And I believe that goes right here in the same thing. We see it all through the Scriptures. We'll study it Wednesday night, Ephesians chapter 4. But he says right here in verse 14, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Well, as obedient children. Well, if you're going to be an obedient child, there has to be something to obey, right? And the obedience is to the next command. We're going to read the next verse. Be holy for I am holy. But for this verse purposes, we understand you have to make an intentional decision to obey. You have to make that. And what are we obeying exactly? He says, as obedient children, just as a child would put themselves under the authority of an earthly father, we must pursue holiness because our father commands it. We're going to see this in just a minute. As obedient children. And here's here's what this looks like. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts. Lust is just simply desires, sinful desires. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former sinful desires, the way you were before you were saved. Not fashioning, that's that word, that Greek word, syskometizo, means to become similar to socially or in behavior. In other words, uh, there's different ways that we align ourselves with things and people, right? That we become similar to them socially, that, you know, in the way we look. We want to be part of that crowd, so we'll maybe look like we want to fit into the crowd, so we'll take on that same form that they do. We want to be part of, of what they're doing. Sometimes it's in the way we act, in our behavior, we want to act the same so we feel like that people aren't uh, awkward around us, and so we'll act a certain way or not act a certain way. But this, this word, not fashioning yourselves, fashioning is the same word of, of the passage we know very well in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. The word conformed, same root word. He says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Maybe Paul and Peter had talked. I don't know. wouldn't have been necessary. God is the one that inspired his word. But this same word, be not conformed. Don't take on the image. Don't fashion yourself to the world. To the world. And it's not planet Earth. It's not uh, whatever planet you're living on. That's not what he's talking about. It's this system of people that are against God. Don't, that's what you did. He says, don't fashion yourself according to the former lusts. I mean, we read in James chapter 4, right, Um, at least I did recently, maybe he didn't, I can't remember, but um, James chapter 4, how that was the way we looked, oh, it was on our podcast coming up, check that out, Um, that's the way we looked, James chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, that we were in this battle with our own lusts, everything we did as a lost person was to please self, and we would have never said that, but in reality, that's what it was. He says, you're not like that anymore, humble yourself. This is the same thing. Don't fashion yourself according to the former lusts. Well, how are you going to do that? You've got to make an intentional decision. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to follow those old pathways I used to be on. I'm not going to pattern my life after those things. You know, the book of Galatians, uh, Paul spends a whole book telling those people, don't go back into that old dead religion. Don't do that. And It's verse after verse after verse after verse. Realize what you have in Christ. Do not, do not fashion yourself according to the former lusts. And then he says in this this last three words here in this verse, in your ignorance. What is he he saying? Hey, when you were lost, you didn't know any better. But now you do. Now you do. Don't don't follow those patterns. Don't do that. You're you're new now. You've been regenerated. Pursue holiness. Pursue God. God. I mean, we we accept and we listen to on a regular basis the wisdom of the world. I mean, let's just be honest. Some of you only come to church on a Sunday morning only. Some of you Sunday morning, Wednesday night. Some of you Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Um, But even that, the rest of the week, what do we do? We listen to television, almost entirely produced by lost people, people that are against God. Uh, We listen to the internet, we listen to the radio. Unless, unless you're listening to Christian radio, you're, you're listening. Day in and day out, we are listening to worldly philosophies. It cannot help but affect us. And I'm not telling you you can't do that. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying you have to make a conscious decision to not fashion yourself according to that. To not follow those patterns, but to get in the word of God yourself. God, I want to pursue you. I want to be godly. And let's just be honest. We don't always feel like that. So you have to make a decision, because sometimes I think we can all be adults in here and know that we don't always feel like doing what's right. But it does not change the fact that we must. We teach our kids like that for years and years, Then it becomes increasingly difficult to do that in our own lives. All right? We must, as obedient children, we must make that intentional decision to leave the old life Uh, I don't know if you realize this. I I imagine you probably do if you think about it. When you got saved, the old life did not go away. It's still there. matter of fact, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, you put off the old man, you put on the new man. Why, Why do you have to put off the old man if he's gone? He's not gone. You just now have a new man, a man that can raise you up in victory. The Holy Spirit of God has regenerated you now. But those old pathways you've been living for years, you've created habits and disciplines in your life. And you have to get into the Word of God. God's not just going to make you into super-Christian. You have to get into the Word of God and begin those new pathways under God's leadership now, under the Holy Spirit's leadership. You have to listen to His convicting Spirit as you are tempted to go back to some of those old ways. You have to listen. You You have to, on a daily basis, get God's power and God's strength to do the things that would bring you closer to Him, that would continually, as obedient children would continually fashion you more and more like him as we get further and further away from the old life. Number three, as we, as we look to God, how can I live this holy life? Number three, we must resist the tendency to compare ourselves to others. And this is just a human tendency. If you find yourself in this boat, um, I don't think God or anybody's trying to kick you while you're down, just, just to arrest you with this, that this is a fact. Resist the tendency to compare yourself to others. Peter says in verse 15, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, if you're reading from a King James, that, that last word in verse 15, just be aware that it's not talking about talking. Okay, that's one of those old English words. It's just the, your manner of life, the way you live your life. You live your life as a conversation. That's kind of how I look at it there to remember what that actually means. It's the way you live your life. He says in verse 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy. You notice he doesn't say pattern your life after other people that you think are holy. He says, here's the standard. The standard is God. That's it. Depending on who you're around all week long, there's going to be influence and a tendency to either pursue God more or not pursue God at all or not even think about God or just be totally satisfied with the way you are. I mean, you name it, the people we're around have a heavy influence on our lives, some of us more than others, unless we make this, in, uh, this um intentional decision to not fashion ourselves according to old life and to resist this tendency to compare ourselves to others. I mean, if you live and work in a godless environment, no matter what you're doing, I mean, you came on Sunday morning church. I mean, you're feeling pretty good right now. If you compare yourself to that, God says, compare yourself to me. Be holy for I am holy. Be holy for I am holy. We have such a tendency to evaluate our walk with God according to what other people are doing or not doing. You know, your your parents might have said this. I know mine did several times. Um, They might tell you something, and you argue a couple times. You go back and forth, and finally they just put their foot down, because I told you so. And realistically, that truth was there at the very beginning, right? But it kind of becomes a point of frustration, and they reveal that to us, that you need to do this because I told you so. God really says that very same thing, but he's not frustrated about it, okay? Um, He says, because it is written. I told you. Oh, well, what is written? His words. His words, and for sake of time, we're going to get right to this, but in Leviticus chapter 11, he wrote one thing and continued through the entire book. He says, for I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves, pursue that holiness, and ye shall be holy for I am holy. He says in, in the next verse, uh, verse 45, he says, Be holy, for I am holy. He says in chapter 19, verse 2, uh, You should be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. He says in chapter 20, verse 7, Be holy, for I am the Lord your God. He says in chapter 20, verse 26, Friend, ye should be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy. Here is the reason. Here is the authority. Here is the goal, if you would. God says, I'm holy. So you be holy. I don't know if I'm going to be honest with you. When I hear about a message on holiness, um, my flesh, my insides, is not the most excited about a message like that. I'm um, not even the most interested. But as we get into the scripture, and we really find out who God is and we study who God is, more and more we see this need and this desire. in the the word of God, that I should have in my own heart, that I should be pursuing God like this. God, I want to be like you. I want to resist the old life, and I want to fashion myself according to that. I want to make these intentional decisions. I want to set you as the standard, you as the goal, your holiness, your purity, to how I want to be. And he says, lastly, that you're to stay under the authority of your righteous judge. He says in verse 17, If you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. We just saw that, and if you read the book of Leviticus, I am the Lord is the common theme through the entire um, proclaiming of the law there in, in Leviticus. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. What is he doing? God is making known his authority to say these things. His authority to command us to sanctify ourselves. His authority to command us to be like Him because He is this way. Because it's going to be His grace that is evident to us one day in heaven. It's going to be the life that He has set out before us that we are to pursue in this life. He says, our God, in verse 17 there, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, there will be no favorites, There will be no, well, you're from a pastor's family, or you grew up in church, or the opposite. Your parents were absolute bums. And none of that is going to have anything to do with how God judges you and me. He's no respecter of persons. He will judge each and every one of us according to our own behavior, our own work, our own submission to him, our own Um, giving in, if you you want to put it that way, submitting to the salvation. You know, as as it says in the book of Acts, um, obeying the gospel. He says, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. He wraps it all in a nice little bow. He says, by the way, don't forget, you're strangers here. So while you're here, pass the time of your sojourning in fear. Live under that respect and reverence of Holy God, Almighty God. Don't don't go back to the old life. Keep that goal. uh, Hope to the end for the grace that you don't deserve, but you're going to get that at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This will help you to pursue holiness. This will help you to pass down those things that look so tantalizing down on this earth. This is our God, this is our judge. Pass the time of your sojourning in fear. Let's bow and bow our heads and close our eyes, if you would. Consider these things. As God has given Peter, under inspiration of his spirit,